Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. It was way back on podcast number three when we discussed the cultivation dance, steps on how to get better at cultivation. But what good is cultivation when you don't have a game plan on raising major gifts? Because that's part of the mix, right? Major gifts do not come from the clear blue sky. It takes a lot of effort and hard work, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Major gifts, they can represent the majority of your fundraising. And if you're not working with individual donors to raise major gifts, the time to start is now. And we're here to help. Our guest today, Dr. Lou Trena, he's a visiting guest to our program, Impactability. Lou has served in the public and private nonprofit enterprises for more than 27 years. He is an expert in the field of major gifts. He's led several major gift campaigns for Florida Southwestern State College, Hodges University, and the Diocese of Venice. His passion for fundraising serves as a vehicle for enhancing the presence of nonprofits and allowing organizations to achieve their missions. I've known him for a long, long time. Dr. Trena, welcome back to Impactability. Thank you, Joe. That was a nice introduction. Appreciate it. Good to have you back. Let's start our conversation with a definition. What is your definition of a major gift? Boy, that's that's a tough, <laughs> tough one to answer, Joe. Um, it, it really, I, I, my definition of major gifts is when the science is in place for raising major gifts, then that would be my definition of major gifts. And I say that because there's there's a science behind, there's a science and application actually of every fundraising vehicle. And major gift is one of them. And so I look at major gifts, not at the amount of money you have to raise and uh, prospect population, but I look at major gifts as, as, as actually the science and, and application of, of that particular fundraising vehicle. So how does a nonprofit determine what their definition of major gift is? I mean, how do they determine, you know, the level of the gift to deem it major? Well, that's kind of easy because, you know, depending on your annual goal, once you determine the amount of money you're looking to raise or the amount of money you need to have uh, using or driving the major gift fundraising vehicle, um, and then you would have that number. Uh, For some of the smaller nonprofits, uh, if they have an annual goal where they have to raise $80,000 in major gifts in order to reach their goal, along with their foundation work, you know, along with their grant work and along with their event that they're doing, or maybe along with some of the other kinds of vehicles they use to raise money. If major gift is 80% is $80,000, then you may be looking at a, a major gift being, you know, at the $2,000 level. So it really depends on the number of donors and prospects the organization has in place and the amount of money they're looking to raise, whether it's an annual goal for major gifts or whether it's a campaign goal. How do major gifts differ from other gift activities? You know, it's very different. Uh, it requires typically weekly meetings um, using the principles of moves management or the science of moves management, which is a word for managing major gifts. It requires a, um, a, a very significant donor base of individuals and families and organizations that can make the gift at the level the organization is looking for. The approach is really one of, uh, it requires a board that, can make a major gift themselves, whatever that level is. 
and a board that's willing to go out and uh, ask others to do the same that they have done. <clears throat> the board is, is really focused on raising money and they're focused on raising major gifts. Uh, it requires the kind of leadership on the board that could open those doors. <clears throat> and it requires uh, leadership on the part of the, the vehicle because it's, it's, it has very little to do with sales. It has everything to do with influencing families and individuals and, and to you know, make a gift. So it's very different than other fundraising vehicles. So Dr. Trena, walk us through the major gifts fundraising cycle. I like to start with research and that comes under prospecting. And so, cause you need to identify the population of, of people that are philanthropic and, and make major gifts. So you need to start with a lot of research using wealth engines, uh, research that qualifies families based on their capacity, propensity, and affinity. And so it really kind of starts there. And then, and then once you get your, uh, you do your research and your prospecting and your kind of selection of individuals that have a high propensity and capacity and affinity to your cause, to your mission, then of course it's cultivation, building relationships. And that's, that takes a lot of time. And so you want to make sure that you're, that you're doing that properly and that you're real, what you're really doing is building a relationship with a potential donor where they can, uh, with, with a high level of trust and, um, uh, that the donor, that the prospect you're working with uh, develops uh, the level of trust with you, with the person that's cultivating them, uh, the CEO of the organization, a trust in the board of trustees that they have or board directors, and, and strengthen that trust over time. And then you have the solicitation, of course, where you're asking for the gift. And and that usually comes easy. I think with major gifts, a lot of folks I know that are good at it will say, I've never asked for the gift because it, it kind of comes naturally where the family is saying, you know, we've looked at everything you've given us. You, you, we, we have all the knowledge we have to be able to make a gift. We, we really believe strongly in the, in the board leadership that you have, that they're going to you know, protect our investment. Uh, we believe very much in the cause that you have because you're, you, you've got a history of, of success with your outcomes in terms of the population you serve. And we really like the idea of making something big happen. And so they're willing to pretty much say, this is what we'd like to do. And then you have the, uh, the stewardship process, which is really so important to uh, the major gift fundraising vehicle, because it's more than just a letter, of course, it's in making sure you properly come up with a very um, a distinct way of how you recognize a specific family. Every, every, I always like making the recognition piece of a major gift that comes in different and very um, customized really for that particular family. You know, you said something a moment ago that I wanted to zero in on when you were speaking from the perspective of the donor. You said the words protect our investment. I think that's an important point to discuss because we shouldn't just look at them as gifts. We should look at it as this family, this individual, this couple in them wanting to invest in our mission. Yes. And um, most of the people that I've worked with that made their money through the free enterprise system. And it's just really quite, and these are families that use their money for humanitarian purposes. They, they see a giving as meaningful in terms of their quality of life. If you do your research and uh, properly, you can, you can identify the people that like to give money to nonprofits. You, you, can, you can identify their, their level of affinity to different areas that they like to give to. Is it the arts? Is it uh, the environment? Is it the children? 
you know, you, you have all that good information and you can even do the kind of research that tells you if they like volunteering as well as giving, or are they, are they families that just prefer uh, giving as opposed to volunteering because their schedules are so full, but they can't make a commitment to, uh, to volunteer time. So it's really a question of making sure that we, do, again, do right by the donor and, and build that relationship based on that and making sure that in the prospecting phase that we really do have um, um, uh, identified a group of individuals that we feel, that the organization feels strongly about and that they would wanna hear their case statement. They would wanna hear more about their mission. So I always felt I had a responsibility to uh, families and individuals that are philanthropic to uh, present opportunities for them that they can look at to see if this is something that would make their life more meaningful in terms of their giving. And uh, and in most cases where if you do it right, uh, these families are very appreciative of working with you because you're helping them improve the life that they have with, with the resources they have. You know, you're talking about relationships. It brings me to my next question. With major gifts, it's all about the relationships that we make and we build. So what are some steps we can take to build strong relationships when going after major gifts? Well, I think it's, it's a lot of time and a lot of patience. Uh, and I think a lot of charities struggle with that. If a nonprofit really wanted to drive this major gift fundraising vehicle, they would have to make sure they had a person that is a major gift officer, whatever that title is, but they're a major gift officer. So whether they have a director title or an institutional advancement title, whatever it is, they're, they're major gift officers. Yeah, a lot of organizations feel they don't need it and they can, they, they're successful with events and they're successful with their annual giving and they're successful with their uh, virtual media. And they may feel they may not need major gifts and they can be very successful reading, reaching their goal. But if you have an organization that really does want to bring major gifts in, it's going to be tough for a board that is more focused on transactions, more focused on, let's say, corporate giving, or they have uh, their fundraising professional is, is somebody that is more focused with bringing sponsorship gifts in and uh, putting events on. To have that same person raise major gifts is going to, I think it's, it's, it's kind of difficult. One of our recent podcasts talked about donor management software, and you're talking about moves management. Would you say it's a must-have if a development officer wants to be good at raising major gifts? Yes. And I say that because when you're doing the research, and I don't know how you can raise major gifts unless you do research. And so there's so many really good wealth engines out there. We've been using wealth engines for decades, but it's, every year it gets better. And so it's really good to have someone that really knows how to conduct research and work with different wealth engines. And there's some real good ones out there. So you have to do your research. And, um, and I'm also suggesting local research, papers and things, you know, newspapers and articles that are written and looking at what other, other what people are doing with other nonprofits. So the research is really important and having the, the funds to be able to purchase the uh, subscriptions to these wealth engines is really important if you're gonna do major gifts. There's also a qualitative piece to this, and in particular with campaigns, you hear about feasibility studies, which is really important to a campaign, but it, it needs to be research. You need to have solid research uh, at the quantitative level, the empirical level, which are your wealth engines will provide that, but you also need to do, have the ability to um, have someone come in and implement qualitative field research. And so you want to make sure that you, I like doing the, uh, the empirical research first to identify populations 
I may want to identify a population of individuals that can give at the major gift level, for an example. And I may want to identify another population that can give at the major gift level, but also like volunteering. And I may want to find a population that, uh, that might be hidden under the radar. So I may have three separate buckets or three separate populations that I'm able to access using all the wealth engines. And then the qualitative research is selecting from those populations a sample to be able to have a really in-depth conversation that really focuses on the, uh, the case statement for the organization, uh, the leadership of the organization, all the things that are important to a donor when they're ready to make a gift. And then once you do that, then you can forecast out with good with some accuracy uh, the uh, what you can expect from the larger populations that you've identified in your in your empirical research. So I like doing that. But you know now you're working with really good prospects that have been not only identified using all the wealth engines you have, but also identified based on uh, some qualitative studies that you've done to really have a really good base of people that you can begin working with that would want to hear your message. He's a guy who loves his research. He's Dr. Lou Trena, our guest today on Impactability. We're talking about major gifts and how you can get more of them. We're going to take a break here, but when we come back, we're going to find out about your success rate with major gifts. If it isn't that great, maybe you're not doing something right. We'll ask Dr. Trena about the mistakes that many development officers make, and also, how do you raise major gifts during a pandemic? You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. We'll be right back. Major gifts are the ultimate source of funding for nonprofits. They can help fulfill your mission and achieve your vision. Having a strong major gifts program should be a priority, but where do you begin? The best place to start is with Sukup Strategic Solutions. We create transformational change by working collaboratively to raise funds. Our fundraising consultants will assess your organization's fundraising capacity and develop a plan that serves as a blueprint for your fundraising success. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation today. That's S-O-U-K-U-P, SukupStrategicSolutions.com. When it comes to major gifts, the effort you put in can make all the difference, and Sukup Strategic Solutions can help. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Dr. Lou Trina, about major gifts and some of the ways you can increase your chances in getting more for your nonprofit. Now, Lou, can you give us one example from your incredible career where the time and patience paid off and the gift you cultivated was not only major, it had a major impact on the community that was served as a result? One person I can think of, and I, I can really think of a number, but I, I like this particular story, if you will. The person was properly researched. We were fortunate to have somebody on our board that uh, had a connection with this individual. And so we had an introduction. Uh, this was for a young organization in higher education that was looking to bring in really their first major gift. And this organization, I would say the major gifts probably were at the $50,000 level, but had never raised a $50,000 gift yet. They were young and growing. The person, um, we did the tour and of course the introductions, all the things that nonprofits do so well. And person was definitely interested in the organization and helping. We were hoping at that time for maybe a $100,000 gift level because we were in the beginning of the silent phase of a capital campaign for a new facility. 
And the first gift the person made was at $10,000 level, but had a match from the corporation he had been with of three to one. So it wound up being a, a $40,000 gift, which was the largest gift the organization ever received at that time. As good officers do, we encourage the person to help us grow with the campaign and invite that person to serve on one of our committees that we had. And um, that person joined the committee and began learning more and more about the organization. It took probably the second year, the, the gift was doubled. It became instead of 40,000, 80,000 uh, with the match. Uh, the third year, uh, the gift kept increasing, uh, not double, but maybe 50% higher the third year. And we finally got to the point where there was a naming right out there that we thought would be very appropriate for this individual, which was naming the School of Business. And we felt that this was something that would be important to this person in terms of adding greater meaning to this person's life in terms of their giving and uh, their quality of life. It took three years, just just over three years. And that person made the first seven-figure gift the organization had ever received. It was a momentous gift. And because it was something that was so significant and momentous, uh, it allowed us to get through the campaign successfully because other gifts followed. When you bring a, the first gift in, there are people out there kind of waiting on the sidelines that are kind of see if this is going to really happen or not, and they start coming in. Suddenly, suddenly you have enough evidence to present out there that you're going to be successful with your campaign. In this case, that happened. But I remember most is we were celebrating the gift, and he was invited to meet the faculty of the School of Business, now named. And we were, I was walking in with him that evening uh, so the faculty can meet him and recognize him. And he turned to me, he said, he said, Lou, this is the greatest accomplishment of my life. I can't thank you enough. And of course, I was humbled, <laughs> to say the least. And clearly was at that point, probably the greatest accomplishment I ever had in my career. And so that, that story I love because it really meant so much to him. He lived about another four years. Uh, and every year, every meeting we had, every meeting we had, he was so proud of that gift. He was so proud of meeting students and the faculty. And he would always tell me, he goes, I can't thank you enough for making this happen for me. I'm really uh, so thankful. But that to me was a good example of how you can if you do it right and you build that relationship. You make sure it's meaningful that for them that you can have, I wish every major gift offer to have those kinds of experiences with their work because it's truly the greatest job in the whole world. Wow, that's a great story, Dr. Trainer. Thank you for sharing it with us. What are some of the common mistakes that development officers make in donor development? Well, if you have, a, if you have an individual that is really good at corporate sponsorships and they use the same approach with families that are philanthropic, that's a mistake. If you have a board that is primarily good at bringing corporate gifts in and annual gifts in, uh, and then you ask them to bring potential philanthropic families in and individuals, that could be a mistake. So it's, again, it's, it, you want to build your, your operation around the fundraising science of the vehicles you're driving. And so major gifts will require having a board that is a percent of your board, depending on how much you're raising, being able to open philanthropic doors uh, at the major gift level that that organization determines and having um, at least one person on staff that really understands that it's more about the donor, it's more about the family than about the organization making sure that we do right by those donors and families, making sure that the 
the mission that the organization has, that case for support uh, that the, the organization has really resonates with those families and individuals. So it's really uh, making sure you have the right people to drive the science of fundraising major gifts. One final question, Lou, in a world that is affected by a pandemic, how do you raise major gifts virtually? We have a, we've had a very strong economy growth over the last 12 years running where people who've earned their money through the free enterprise system have done very well and their pockets are full. And so it's, there's a lot of great potential out there in terms of capacity for those families and individuals that have propensity for giving to nonprofits and have a, a strong affinity to a nonprofit cause, specific cause a nonprofit has. So right there, you've got amazing potential which makes it easier than let's say, you know, events because you're canceling events, right? Events are being pushed off a little bit more. They're being run outside. So it becomes more difficult for other fundraising vehicles like events. The struggle you have though, is you don't have the, the personal contact. I mean, it's not bad, but thank God we have you know, virtual media and thank God we have Zoom and uh, all the ability to be able to meet virtually like you and I are doing right now. If we didn't have that, I'm not sure how it would work, but we have that. It, but it's just not as good as going to table 43 at your favorite restaurant and knowing that that's a good table because it's it's quiet and knowing that the waiters will bring out a pillow for your your donor who you know, might be in their early 90s and need a pillow, right? So all of the um, contextual things that um, donors love and major gift officers love um, when you're building that relationship is kind of missing, you know, you don't have the, you know, the great menu and the choice that they love and, you know, the nice restaurant and, or maybe it's theater and all the things you like doing when you're cultivating, um, you know, donors, but it's, you've built a relationship already. And so that relationship will always be there, just like your family relationships. And so you just go with what you normally would go with, with family, uh, the same kinds of contacts you might have, but always keeping in touch. I, I think the one thing we do have, again, the technology is really helping us with major gifts. And just as um, all of the virtual media that we have, multimodality communications that we have right now, um, you know, working with blogs and, and, and working with podcasts like we're doing now, all of that can go out to th those donors that you're working with that have uh, major gifts, that are major donors so to keep them in touch with what you're doing. So that communications using virtual media is so important. And I would, every month you send something out as you get through this process. Yeah, it's tough you know, going, going virtual and asking for a major gift. It's, but I think if you do it right with major donors, they'll, they'll come to you and talk to you about what their plans are this year. I think it would be a good idea for all major gift officers right now, for example, to look at their portfolios and say, what people do they wanna contact and meet with could be virtual to talk about what the plans are for the year and what kinds of activities and what kind of gift opportunities, um, what type of needs the organization has that that, that that individual would have interest in now. So they so that folks that are philanthropic can kind of plan out their year in terms of what they'd like to give. Dr. Trena, as usual, it's been an amazing experience learning from you. We can't thank you enough for sharing all of this information with us, and we're sure to bring you back again soon. So thank you so much for being with us today on Impactability. Thank you, Joe. Always great working with you.
Time now for another edition of Coach's Corner. This is where we take the questions that you send us, and it could be absolutely anything from something very simple going on at your nonprofit that you just want another opinion on, or it could be something major that you can't agree on or don't know about, and you want to ask our impact coaches. We're here to help. They are here to help, and that is what Coach's Corner is all about. Today, a great question, a guest impact coach. Our impact coach is Jackie Carter. She is a social media guru and she's got, hopefully, the answer to this question. So Jackie, stand by because I know you've heard this one a million times. So we're going to put you to the test to answer this one. How can I market my nonprofit on social media better? Sounds simple. And again, I know you've heard it a million times, but now's your chance to answer it. Jackie, you've got five minutes to answer the question here on Coach's Corner. Your five minutes starts right now. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. You're totally right. This is a great question. I get asked this very often, and I'm so excited to answer it. So let's get into it. When you say you're looking to market your organization on Facebook and LinkedIn better, you're most likely referring to marketing it to more people, which is expanding your reach and increasing the amount of people liking, commenting, overall taking action on your content, which is increasing your engagement. To do this, I would recommend enacting a new strategy, specifically visual storytelling. Visual content plays a key role in any marketing strategy and is increasing in popularity in the nonprofit sector for a very clear reason. Incorporating graphics into materials conveys your message to your audience in a more digestible and engaging fashion. Visual storytelling is more effective than just words on the screen Because as we all know, and according to HubSpot, the brain processes visuals 60,000 times faster than text. 60,000 times faster, that's right. Using visuals to tell the story at hand, whatever it may be, lets your audience understand the message faster. Thus, the impact of your message is stronger because they have more time to let it resonate with them. Just thinking about how fast consumers scroll through social media feeds With their thumb or with their mouse, visual content is an especially powerful strategy on both LinkedIn and Facebook. So to start using visual storytelling, I would try these types of visual content out. First, photos and videos of your mission in action. Let's say your organization is a social servants agency and your mission is to help the people of your community by providing information, referrals, case management, I would take a story of someone your organization has helped in the community, respectfully removing their personal information from it, of course, and use stock images and videos to make a short video explaining the success story of your mission in action. I would create infographics to showcase statistics about your cause, how many people your organization has served in the past six months, or how many children your organization has provided clothing for. Whatever it is your nonprofit does to help your community. Another way you can incorporate visual storytelling into your social media strategies on LinkedIn and Facebook is to share short videos, letting your audience into the day to day work your nonprofit does, or maybe even a recap from a recent event. Short videos instead of those paragraph summaries, because again, using visuals to tell the story at hand lets your audience understand the message faster, and thus that impact of your message is so much stronger. You could share live or pre-recorded testimonials from fundraisers, staff, or volunteers. 
the people that put their time into your organization beam with pride and enthusiasm talking about the work they do and why they do it. Determine who in your organization would be willing to do this and post it to show your Facebook and LinkedIn audience. And aside from enacting this new strategy, which is very effective of visual storytelling to market your organization on LinkedIn and Facebook more effectively, it's always important to remember the basics of running a social media account, no matter what size it is. Post consistently and post confidently. So Joe, there's just a couple of ideas I have to help nonprofits market themselves better on Facebook and LinkedIn, and honestly, social media as a whole, increasing their audience size and level of engagement. Great information, Jackie. Thank you so much. You know, we've got a couple extra seconds. I just want to ask you this. Am I right when I say video, video, video? Video, video, video is right. That's what I thought. Jackie, again, thank you so much for being on Coach's Corner today. Thanks for having me, Joe. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.